Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Look at that. Kirk Herbstreit is on six, the phone. Presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Monday, October 31st. 2022 people that is right a halloween edition of the air tour sports podcast here is what you need to know about what i think will be a very fun some may call it a very spooky episode of the air tour sports podcast i think i did that on friday forgive me but let's get to the meat of the show uh what we're going to talk about today is pretty straightforward okay i do want to open tennessee that butt whooping of kentucky i got some thoughts on tennessee i am starting to come to this belief on tennessee that as good as they are I think they might even be better than we're giving them credit for. I think the comparisons to the 2019 LSU team all of a sudden maybe are unfair to Tennessee, not LSU. We're going to talk about Kentucky. For the first time, I have some real reservations about Mark Stoops, disappointed in how he is calling plays and allowing plays to be called and preparing his team for these big SEC road games. We're going to talk about that from there. We will switch gears. We'll talk a little Ohio State, Penn State, because Ohio State's won. I'll be honest. I'm not supposed to say this, but it is November 1st, essentially. We are heading into week 10 of the college football season. I don't really know how I feel about Ohio State. We'll talk about them. We'll talk about Penn State. And we will wrap with Auburn because we're not going to talk Auburn, Arkansas. Don't worry. But I do think there were some interesting developments on what is next for that football program this weekend. They appear to have zeroed in on an AD candidate. One coaching candidate, Hugh Freeze, friend of the Aaron Torres pod, uh, just signed an extension. What does that mean for the Auburn job? Hugh Freeze, probably the most likely guy uh, that was going to get the job. What does it all mean? So we will discuss all that to wrap the show. Some other odds and ends. Obviously a crazy scene at Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, Oklahoma getting their butt kicked by Kansas State on and on and on and on and on. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And it's not often that I lead the show with a 44 to 6 absolute butt whooping. But that is what we are doing today. And we are going to talk Tennessee, Kentucky from both perspectives. As I said, final score in Knoxville, top 20 matchup. We kind of wondered can Tennessee, are they going to be sleepwalking, get ready for Georgia? Oh, no, not at all. 44 to 6 was the final. And this was one, it was crazy because 
it felt like it was essentially over by about midway through the second or so quarter. By halftime, Kentucky fans are scratching their heads. By the end of the third quarter, Josh Heupel called off the dogs. Tennessee wins 44-6 to in a game that was not as close as the final score indicated. First thought on this game, I want to talk about the Tennessee perspective first, and we are going to get to the Kentucky perspective momentarily. But from the Tennessee perspective, I'll just say, bottom line, end of story, this team continues to amaze me, okay? Because here's the thing about teams, you know, in in any sport, right? College football, college basketball, NBA, NFL. There's teams that have been winning forever. There are teams that expect, go into games expecting to win, go into seasons expecting to win. That's Alabama. That's Georgia. That's Clemson even after the down year last year. Ohio State, Kentucky in men's basketball, Duke in men's basketball, uh, the whoever, the Green Bay Packers in football, even though they're not playing very good football right now. But then there are other teams that I don't think any of us know how good they are, including guys in that own locker room. And so what's been so impressive to me about Tennessee is not just the totality of their wins, which we're going to get into in a minute. It is how they are handling success. They are handling success like their Bama, like their Duke basketball, like their Carolina basketball, like this is just what they do. We talked about it a little bit going uh, into the weekend. I mentioned the UT Martin game a week ago was the one that I thought, okay, this could be where chaos really ensues, right? Because I never thought they were going to lose to UT Martin, but I could see the scenario coming off the Bama win. Okay, you beat Bama, historic win, rush the field, goalposts are somewhere in the Tennessee River right now. Um, That was the game that I thought, okay, sit back. We could see the scenario where Tennessee's up maybe, you know, 21 to 13 at halftime, and it's like 24 to 17 in the third quarter. Then they pull away and win. That is not what happened at all. They put up 52 points in the first half and one going away. Well, going into this weekend, I thought it was the same with Kentucky. And listen, this is not a knock on Kentucky and how they lost. This is the reality that Tennessee is exceeding all expectations. Going into this weekend, you know, we all saw the point spread of, uh, of 14 points, you know, 12, 12 and a half points in the Betfred Sportsbook, got up to 14 points at various points. And we all sat there and kind of said, we like Tennessee, but isn't Kentucky the team that, that probably can slow them down? Physical up front, run game is coming together with the return of Chris Rodriguez. Uh, Defense has always been pretty solid. Isn't this the game that like, okay, Tennessee's probably going to win, but I thought it'd be somewhere in the neighborhood of like 37 to 30. I think I said that was my official pick on Friday's show. And so for Tennessee to go out and do what they did, and it wasn't just on offense. I think this is the important part that we need to continue to kind of wrap our brains around with Tennessee. I think if we're just talking Heupel, Hennon Hooker, Heisman. uh, If that's what we're talking about today, then you are way behind the eight ball on Tennessee. Yes, this offense is incredible. Yes, it is seemingly getting better every week. They now have Cedric Tillman, maybe their best wide receiver back. But at the same time, they are doing it on both sides of the football. You saw Saturday night. They made, yeah, Will Levis. We'll talk about Will Levis in a minute. I, I, I actually think he's taking maybe too much heat after that game, but three interceptions. Defense Tennessee forces three turnovers. They hold a good Kentucky offense. Not great, not elite, but good enough. 205 yards of total offense. Tennessee ha- or Kentucky has an NFL quarterback, two at least two NFL wide receivers, a good running back. They held up to 205 yards of total offense. So one, I just want to give Tennessee credit for being even more than we thought they were. And as we look at, listen, the Georgia stuff, 
We are going to have time to break down Georgia, talk about it all, discuss it all throughout the week, okay? And we will. But at the same time, what I, what I do want to do is kind of just talk about contextualize Saturday night, what it all means. And a couple things do come to mind. One, we have that first college football playoff poll coming out this coming week. For people who remember, don't really remember the calendar, we have the AP poll, we have the coaches poll. But at the end of the year, we get that college football playoff committee and they put out a weekly top 25, which is going to drop on Tuesday night. And so because of that, the AP poll is now essentially meaningless. And when that first college football playoff poll comes out, I'll be blunt. I think Tennessee should be number one. I don't even think it should be close. Okay. And here's my explanation why you just look at who they are beating and how they are beating them. It's a joke, right? Like, 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 listen, I know there's no perfect way to evaluate who's the best and who's this and who's that. The, the, the one that I used on Saturday night, and of course I got pushback from Ohio State fans and Georgia fans, is, you know, Tennessee right now, you look at their resume. They have beaten five teams that were ranked at the time that they played them. They won at Pitt. They beat Florida at home. They won at LSU. They beat Alabama at home. They beat Kentucky at home. Five wins against teams that were ranked when they played them. For comparison's sake, Ohio State has two, Michigan has one, Georgia has one. Now, I know that's not a perfect stat because, for an example, Tennessee beat Florida when they're ranked, Georgia didn't, Georgia beats Florida when they're not ranked, so how do you compare it? There's no perfect way to compare. But I do think if you use a combination of the eye test and a combination of what the actual results are against the teams that they're playing, I don't even think it's a debate. By the way, this is why preseason polls are dumb. The only reason that Georgia or Ohio State or even Michigan would be ranked ahead of Tennessee on Tuesday is because of the fact that somebody liked them more in the preseason. Because if we're basing it on what happened now, if we're basing it on what has happened since Labor Day weekend when this season started, it's a joke. Tennessee, even if you even if there's no perfect way to measure who's the best and how good is this team and how good here's just just talk it out loud. Here's who they've beaten Alabama at home. Alabama's still really good. I've been critical of them, but they're still really good. At LSU, LSU's really good. Those are the two best teams in the SEC West. Tennessee smacked LSU on the road, beat Alabama at home. Uh, Kentucky, good team. Disappointing effort from them, but they're still a really good team. Tennessee smacked them. Tennessee smacked Florida too, and I know the Florida score was close. And You watch that game. It wasn't even competitive. And so when I look at Tennessee, I think they should be number one. I know it ultimately doesn't matter. They'll play Georgia next week, and we'll figure out who the best team in not only the SEC East is, but probably the SEC in that one. By the way, uh, you know Tennessee is open as about an 11, 11.5-point underdog in the Betfred Sportsbook. Not telling you what to do. Um, that will probably be my Betfred boost of the week, but neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Last thought on Tennessee. Last thought, and, and, and we'll get to the Kentucky aspect of this game. Something has come up with Tennessee that I I do want to talk about, and it's this, is that when Tennessee beat Alabama, and I think this happens sometimes in our the way that we cover sports, right, is this idea that everybody's got to rush to to have a bigger, bolder, stronger take. And I think one reason you guys and girls like me, I yell and scream, I have strong opinions, but I try to be balanced and I try to be fair. I try to look at both sides. I try to be fair. I try not to overreact. And one thing I will say, and I'm not criticizing anyone specifically, But as soon as Tennessee beat Alabama, we saw a lot of people in the media say, well, I mean, this is LSU 2019 all over again. And for people who don't remember that LSU team, that LSU team was, of course, the Joe Burrow team, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, some pretty good players on that team. They had a a historic quarterback with an incredible play caller, Joe Brady. 
And they just took the college football world by storm. And so when people started comparing Tennessee to them, I said to myself, I said, you know what? That feels a little too on the nose. That feels a little too obvious. That feels a little too too much of a leap. Let's just enjoy this Tennessee season for what it is. And if it ends in a Sugar Bowl or if it ends in 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 eleven and one, um, but you don't make the playoff, let's not deem that a disappointment. Well, I've got a confession to make. Those guys and girls that started the LSU comparison two weeks ago, three weeks ago, they were right, and I was dead wrong. And as a matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. About two, three weeks ago, I said, it's not fair to compare this Tennessee team to LSU. It's not fair to LSU. LSU was awesome, historically great. They closed the deal 15-0. I'm starting to wonder if it's not fair to Tennessee because what I was thinking about with this Tennessee team, I'm not saying they're LSU 2015. I'm not saying they're better than that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, one, the comparisons are there. Elite historic offense. Defense is, I think, way better than people think. But here's the other thing. Here's why it's not fair to Tennessee. Why Tennessee has exceeded potentially LSU at this point in the year. Go back and look at that LSU team. They didn't beat this many good teams this early in the calendar by this significant amount of margin as Tennessee has so far. It sounds crazy, right? But go back and look at that LSU season. They didn't really pick up steam and pick up confidence until they beat Alabama this first weekend in November like they'll play this year. Go back and look. They won by seven at Texas. They won by... Uh, 14 against Florida in a game that was close into the fourth quarter. They beat Auburn by three the week before they beat Alabama. That ain't this Tennessee team. Tennessee just beat a good Kentucky team by 38 points. They won by 27 at LSU. LSU might be the best team in the SEC West, although I still think that's Alabama. And so to me, I thought two or three weeks ago it was unfair to Tennessee. It was putting way too much on them. Now you start to look. What they're doing at this point in the season is actually better than what that LSU team did in 2019. Now, LSU did beat Alabama. Then they really got on a roll, destroyed Texas A&M, destroyed Georgia in the SEC championship game, went to the playoff, destroyed Oklahoma, beat Clemson. So there's still a lot of steps left for Tennessee. But if we're comparing apples to apples, if we're comparing this season to that 2019 season, I do think it's fair to say that Tennessee might be slightly ahead of schedule with LSU. But listen, we we can continue the comparisons with LSU down the road. And we can certainly preview this Georgia game throughout the week. But I am just so impressed by this team. Big win for Tennessee. Uh, they just look so, so, so good. I just continue to be so impressed by how good they are. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With that said, I do want to switch gears to the other side of things. And I do want to talk quickly about the Kentucky perspective, because I do think even though Kentucky kind of fringe top 20 team, I get it. I do think there's actually a very interesting element of this from the Kentucky perspective as well. And before we get into it, like I, I want to clarify a few things just right off the bat here. One, if you've ever listened to me talk about Mark Stoops on this show, I have been incredibly complimentary and it's for obvious reasons, right? Um, what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky is really to me, one of the great program building jobs in the history of college football. Talk all the time about Jim Calhoun, how he built a power out of nothing at UConn in basketball. Well, Mark Stoops, I don't want to make the apples to apples comparison because he's not going to win, you know, multiple national championships like Jim Calhoun. But I don't think most people still fully appreciate just how good Mark Stoops has been at Kentucky outside of that Kentucky fan base. If you are a listener to this show under the age of 25, it has not always been like this for Kentucky. It has not always been Saturday night, Kirk Herbstreet, Chris Fowler, uh, a top 20 matchup in a game where a lot of people, myself included, thought Kentucky could make things interesting. So I want to give Mark Stoops credit because he has absolutely unequivocally elevated this program to, frankly, a place that myself and many others, I think, didn't think was possible. Yet here we are, obviously coming off a 10-win season, multiple 10-win seasons since 2018. At the same time, though, I do feel like today is the day to criticize Mark Stoops because what I have seen is something that I don't know if the word concerning is right if I'm a Kentucky fan, but maybe a little bit disappointing. And that is this. As Mark Stoops has elevated the Kentucky program, as he has elevated everything about it, including the talent on the field, I don't believe the game day preparation and the game day planning has matched it. And so on Saturday night, a lot of people were blaming Will Levis. A lot of people were blaming uh, the offensive coordinator. I am going to blame this on Mark Stoops because as the program has evolved, as the talent has gotten better, he still goes into these big games coaching not to lose rather than to win. And it's a little bit of a disappointing thing for me to see because I'm really impressed with everything else that he's done. And so to, to give it kind of the full 365 degree, is that right? 360 degree context, I guess it's 360 degrees, right? 365 days, 360 degrees, you get the point. To give it the full uh, perspective here, what I want to say, just think about why this is a topic. We really have to understand how Mark Stoops built this program. It's been discussed time and time and time again, but I think it's worth revisiting. Um, you know, he knew early on, I am not going to get the caliber of players that Georgia has, that Florida has, that Alabama, that LSU have, et cetera. And so what I'm going to do is build a team in the makeup of kind of who I am and where I'm from. I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, all that stuff. We're going to play really good defense. We're going to be really physical. We're going to be really tough. We're not going to make mistakes. And we're going to wait for you to make mistakes. And that's how we are going to beat you. We're not going to out-athlete you. We're not going to run up and down the field. We're going to have to be schematically smarter, and I don't claim to be X's and O's guy, but we're going to have to be schematically smarter. We're going to have to not make mistakes. We're going to have to narrow the margins, wait for you to make a mistake and win. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with winning like that, right? Illinois right now is about to win the Big Ten West. They're sitting at, I think, 7-1 and one or 8-1 and one right now, winning the exact same way. As a matter of fact, do you know who that actually sounds like quite a bit? It's the Iowa Hawkeyes, who ironically, that's where Mark Stoops played, but Iowa, we criticize them a lot, and they deserve all the criticism this year. But they've been mostly really successful doing that exact same thing. 
They've won Big Ten West championships. Listen, we can make fun of Iowa. If there had been a 12-team playoff, say, over the last 15 years, Iowa would have made multiple playoff appearances playing the exact same way that they do, including last year. And so we can make fun of Iowa. We can make fun of Illinois. We can make fun of maybe old-school Kentucky. Uh, but you can win a lot of games doing that, winning, playing that way. At the same time, though, there is going to be a moment in time where you face a team that has more talent, more skill, more athleticism, and you can't hope to win every game 20 to 17, 17 to 14, 14 to 10. And so to bring it back to Mark Stoops, I guess that's where my frustration is for me with him, is the idea that as the talent level has increased, he hasn't really changed the way that he's going into these games. Think about this Kentucky roster right now. We're going to get to Will Levis in a second. Kentucky probably has the most talented quarterback they've had probably, I don't know, since Tim Couch. I, I By the NFL draft standards, okay? So the most talented quarterback they've had in 20 years. I don't know if he is that, but he's certainly probably the most talented quarterback that they've had under Mark Stoops. They probably have the best wide receiver core they've ever had. Now, they're young, but they got NFL wide receivers. Chris Rodriguez is a really good running back. The offensive line is not very good. Uh, and oh, by the way, the defense is, again, sound and really talented and all that stuff. And so I bring it up. Because you go into Saturday night, you go back to Saturday night. What was the buzz coming out of that game? It was, oh, Will Levis stinks. Will Levis is overrated. Will Levis is this. Will Levis is that. And what I would say to that is, I, I, I'm not an NFL draft expert. I'll be blunt. I don't see number one overall talent from Will Levis. But I also can't blame Will Levis because I was watching that game closely. And I know on Twitter it's cool to just crush random things and random people. And Will Levis stinks and he's overrated. And how can he go number one overall? You know what I saw? I, I saw a guy that maybe he has the talent to be a first-round pick. Maybe he has the talent to be the number one overall pick. I didn't see a coaching staff that put him in position to show that talent off, though. You go back, he had three interceptions on Saturday night. Well, two of them were in third and long situations where they ran the ball right up the middle, got stuffed twice, and then it was third and long, obvious passing situation. He has to drop back. He has to make throws, and they got intercepted by a really good defense. And so to sit here and say it's all Will Levis's fault, he's overrated, he stinks, he's this, he's that, maybe he isn't that good. Maybe he is. But I saw a coaching staff that isn't putting him in position to succeed. And so that's where my frustration is with Mark Stoops. He's still coaching like it's year one, and he's at a major, major, major talent deficiency. Now, I understand you don't want to try to get into a shootout with Tennessee. That's not what I'm saying at all. But at the same time, here's the bottom line. Part of coaching part of what you are paid millions of dollars a year to do is to coach, is to evaluate not only the other team, but your own team, to have strengths and weaknesses and figure out how to maximize and accentuate your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. Well, this year's Kentucky team, Kentucky fans, I'm going to pause. I want you to say out loud, what is your team's weakness right now? One, two, three, pause. What is your weakness? It's the offensive line. You have an NFL caliber quarterback that whether we think he's number one overall or not, he's an NFL caliber quarterback. You have great wide receivers. Defense is good. The offensive line stinks this year. And so for Mark Stoops to go into this game and say, you know what? The way to beat the number one team in the country, not, not number one, top three team in the country, maybe number one in the, this, the first college football poll is, know how to stop the number one offense in college football. I get the idea. You don't want them going up and down the field. But the idea is not to lean on the run game when the offensive line is your weakest link. And so I, I, I am a little bit frustrated and I am a little bit disappointed with Mark Stoops because that's part of coaching. 
taking the talent that you have at your disposal in this specific season, this specific moment, and maximizing it to its extreme. That is not what he is doing this year, and that is why I am disappointed. Now, why is that? I don't know. I don't have the answers. I've heard all sorts of different things. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't trust Will Levis, but if he doesn't trust Will Levis, guess what? He doesn't trust any quarterback that he's ever had because this is how he's always coached in big games. I had a Kentucky fan insinuate to me that the way his contract is structured, he's just trying to get to seven wins so he can roll over into next year. I don't know all that. What I do know was that if there was ever a night to prove to America that you have the number one quarterback in America on your roster, this was it. It wasn't trying to run the ball between the tackles when the offensive line is your weak link. And so I don't fully know what it is. And this is not, and by the way, I think everybody is smart enough to know. This isn't like a marked fire Mark Stoops or whatever, blah, blah. That's not what this is about at all. But at the same time, I will say this. He made a big stink about, well, Kentucky's a football school now. Well, football schools don't go seven and five. Football schools don't lose to their biggest rival. And by the way, if you are a football school and you go seven and five and you get smoked by your biggest rival, we're having questions about your job status come the next day. Now, I don't think we're having, it's not that I don't think, we are not having those, those conversations. But at the same time, you made a big stink about being a football school. You've talked publicly about getting to Atlanta. And I think those are great things to have and great dreams to have. But if you are to get there, Mark Stoops, you too have to change. You too have to evolve. Nick Saban did it years ago when he went from defense to high-powered offense. Kirby Smart did it last year. He opened up the offense. Not saying you have to win a national championship, but if you keep going into big games like this, let's call a spade a spade. You're going to get similar results every time you play teams with more talent. All right, this is what I want to do. Do want to take a quick break? Do want to come back? And I do want to talk about the Ohio State-Penn State game because I'll be honest, I got a lot of thoughts and I'm going to have to talk them out on air because I don't know how I feel about Ohio State right now. How good are they? How beatable are they? We're going to try and figure it all next. You guys are going to be my therapist. I'm going to be laying on your couch. We're going to talk it all out. Take a quick break. Be right back. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back 
the sponsor of our Aaron Torres pod, NFL Pick'em Challenge, Bracket Fanatics, and BracketFanatics.com. Listen, I've worked with Bracket Fanatics for years, multiple NCAA tournaments, and we started the Aaron Torres pod, NFL Pick'em Challenge. This is such an awesome deal for you guys and girls. This is all you got to do. Go to BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. The Bracket name is Torres. Do that, and here is what you can get. We have weekly $100 winners, and we have a season-long $1,000 cash prize. Free to enter, no sign-up, no this, no that. Enter every week, $100 weekly winner, $1,000 season-long cash prize. That is what Bracket Fanatics does for you. That is what Bracket Fanatics is doing for Aaron Torres and the Aaron Torres pod this, this football season. Again, week nine is coming up. We will announce our week eight winner later this week. But if you have not signed up, BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. The Bracket name is Torres. Uh, and if you've already signed up, go ahead and make those week nine picks. We are giving out money. We are going to announce our week eight winner later this week. Thank you to Bracket Fanatics, BracketFanatics.com. Again, BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. Bracket name Torres. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, let's switch gears. And let's talk about, I don't even want to call it the other big game of the day. This was the big game of the day. It was obviously Penn State, Ohio State. I know we led with Tennessee, Kentucky. I do want to switch gears, though, and talk Penn State, Ohio State, because this was one, to be blunt, I don't ever really remember anything quite like this game, okay? Really fun game on paper. We know these two schools don't like each other. We know Penn State beat Ohio State once a million years ago, always give them fits, but haven't been able to get over the hump since. And Saturday felt like that game that they just might do it. They were up early. They're playing good defense. They actually led at one point in the fourth quarter. So we're not talking about first quarter, second quarter. In the fourth quarter, they led 21 to 16 with about nine minutes left. And then from there, all hell broke absolutely loose. Okay, I think everybody kind of knows what happened. But for those who don't, Ohio State scored 28 points in the final nine minutes of the game and they won 44 to 31 this after trailing 21 to 16 with nine minutes left so what do i always say not great at math but if my math is correct it means that there was what 35 points in the first 51 minutes of the game and we got 38 points in the final nine minutes again i don't know that i have ever seen anything like it and so I want to break this game down, and I do want to talk about it, but I want to be just totally transparent with you guys and girls. On these shows, especially on Monday, I like to come on with a big, bold, definitive, strong take. This is what this means. This is what that means. This guy should be fired. This guy should be hired. This is what it all means. This team's good enough. Whatever. I don't know that I have a super strong opinion about Ohio State. I think there were some things that made me feel really good. And by the way, I'm comparing Ohio State to the best of the best teams that are good enough to win a national championship. But I saw some things from Ohio State on Saturday that I really like. And I'll be honest, I saw some things that still concern me a little bit as well now 10 weeks into the college football season. Now, in terms of the positives, let's just call a spade a spade. Ohio State went on the road to a top 15 team. And you can sit here and say Penn State's not that good. They're a little bit disappointing. They got destroyed by Michigan, all that good stuff. Ohio State still went on the road and beat that team by double figures in a really, really tough environment. thought it was interesting in the lead-up to the game. Urban Meyer said, uh, obviously Urban Meyer works for Fox. Fox NFL kickoff was on site. And he said not once, but twice, 
that Penn State is the loudest stadium and the toughest stadium to play in in college football. He's got this coach at Tiger Stadium, coached in the Swamp, coached at Georgia, coached at Tennessee. I don't know if he's coached at Georgia, actually, because they play that game on a neutral field, as we saw yesterday. But he's coached at Neyland Stadium. He's coached at LSU. He's coached at Auburn. And for him to sit there and say that he believes that Penn State is the loudest stadium in college football and for Ohio State to go in there and get a victory, that is a, like, I'm not going to discredit that. As a matter of fact, that's a really, really, really impressive thing. Ohio State goes on the road and in the toughest game to date, not only is it finds a way to win in a game where they didn't play their best, they ended up winning by double figures when push came to shove. On top of that, and this is important, it wasn't just that they won. It was how they won and specifically the defense. Last year, that defense is much maligned. Last year, that defense gets bullied by Michigan and Oregon and even Utah, even though they beat Utah. Well, this year in this game, it was the defense that carried them, specifically a young man by the name of JT Tui Malo Tui Maloal. Okay, I'm sorry if I said that name wrong, but this kid is unbelievable. If you don't know the name, um, really interesting backstory. One, he's going to be a top probably 10 NFL draft pick, so get to know the name. JT Tui Maloal. Really interesting story, though. He was a member of the high school class of 2021. He was a, a five-star player, could have gone anywhere, one of the top two, three, four recruits in the country. High school class of 2021. Obviously, you know what that means. He played his senior year during the 2020 COVID season and couldn't take any official visits during his senior year. So he actually waited until June of his senior year after he graduated high school to take all of his visits, and he committed to Ohio State literally in June following his senior year. And it wasn't a, I'm looking for attention. It wasn't a, I want people to talk about me. It was a, I want to make sure that I'm going to the right school. Well, he obviously picked the right school, and this is why a school like Ohio State waits for a five-star player until June after his senior year to commit. Because he had one of the great defensive performances that I have ever seen. Two sacks, strip sack, fumble recovery, Oh, by the way, the INT pick six that essentially sealed the game. This guy was unbelievable. There were two key plays that really sealed the victory for Ohio State defensively. He had both of them, a strip sack of Sean Clifford, who we'll get to Sean Clifford in a second because I got a lot of thoughts on him, but then also the INT pick six that sealed the victory. Defense plays great on the road, top 15 win to me. Those are all incredible positives. The defense continues to get better. These are great things if you're an Ohio State fan, and I am not going to sit here raining on your parade. But we also don't compare Ohio State to whoever, Wisconsin, Nebraska, um, in, the, in other conferences, whatever. We are comparing them right now. Their standard at Ohio State is we expect to get to the playoff, and we expect to have a team that's good enough to win the playoff when we get there. And through 10 games, I'll be honest, I'm worried a little bit about him because you look at this team really over the last two years, but in their biggest games, something is just not fully clicking. And it's weird because it's on the offense, right? And if you just look at the stats, what do we always talk about on this show? Go beyond the box score. It's not just about what you see on a piece of paper. It's if you watch the game. And if you watch that game, that offense was out of rhythm for, again, about 50 of 60 minutes. Now, they got into a, a rhythm really quick late, but 50 of 60 minutes, they did not play great offensive football, and I'm starting to get a little bit worried. First off, did not run the ball well. Finished with 98 yards. Penn State is not a great rush defense, okay? Remember, they went to Michigan a few weeks ago. Michigan ran for 240-something yards against them. 
Michigan had two different players rush for over 100 yards in that game. Ohio State rushed for under 100 yards, and about 50 of them came on one carry from Travion Henderson late in the game. Didn't run the ball well. I thought Ryan Day, the play calling was a little bit weird, and I don't claim to be X's and O guy. But every time that they threw the ball to Marvin Harrison, he was wide open making plays. And yes, that's Marvin Harrison, the son of the, the NFL legend, Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm talking about here. Every single time they threw the ball to him, he's making plays. And yet it seemed like they wanted to run the ball, try to prove they could run the ball, and Penn State stuffed them. And so the offense did not look great. Uh, C.J. Stroud had a turnover right before the half. Second straight week, he's coughed the ball up. Second straight week, he couldn't feel pressure in the face of a pass rush. These are nitpicky things. These are small things. But when you look at this game, by the way, Ryan Day, again, weird play calling. Remember, before the half, they, they miss an opportunity to kick a field goal. But then also, and I think this is important, there was a weird situation late in the third quarter where they, had, they, they, they set up a play. It looked like it was a two-down type of situation. And we all thought they were going to go for it on fourth down. He ends up kicking the field goal. It doesn't matter, but it just felt like between the players and the coaching staff, there's just something not there, not blaming Ryan Day, not blaming CJ Stroud. I'm just stating facts here. And when I state facts, again, it is because the standard at Ohio State isn't to survive against Penn State. It isn't to crush Wisconsin or Rutgers or Maryland. It is to do three things this year and this year only, and every year, really. It is to beat Michigan make up for last year. It is to win the Big Ten, and it is to get to the playoff, and again, have a team that is good enough to win games when you get there. And so I still think all of those things are on the table for Ohio State, but I'll be honest, I I don't feel nearly as confident that they will actually take care of all those things as I did about three or four weeks ago. Listen, Michigan, we can criticize Michigan for the limitations and how good are they and how good is the passing game. Michigan, what Michigan does is very translatable, whether you're playing on the road, at home, neutral field, whatever. They run the ball right at you. They kick the crap out of you. They stuff it down your throat. They make you stop it. And then on the other side, they fly around and play great defense. That's been the blueprint pretty much forever under Harbaugh, but it's been taken to another level over the last year and a half. Well, I think even as of about three, four weeks ago, we sat there and said with the way this Ohio State offense is playing, Ohio State's probably going to get back to kicking that butt when they play in Columbus in a few weeks. Now, Ohio State's going to be favored, barring something very shocking. But I don't know that I feel today like, oh, Ohio State's definitively got the edge with the Michigan game. And if they don't beat Michigan, they're not going to win the Big Ten. And if they don't win the Big Ten, there's kind of a reasonable chance that they're probably not going to make the college football playoff, right? Clemson is undefeated. I don't see a loss on that schedule. We're probably going to have a one-loss Pac-12 champ. We have an undefeated team in the Big 12 right now. We have three teams probably in legitimate contention in the SEC. They're all not going to get in. You lose that Michigan game, and your best win is against what's probably going to be a 9-3 and three Penn State team. That's going to be a tough argument to get you into this 14 playoff. And so I'm not worried. I don't want to overreact, but I want to be fair. I can't come on this show and just yell and scream and rant and rave. They beat Penn State. They're so awesome. No, I watched the game like you all did. And you take care of business. You do what you're supposed to do. But again, it's not really about just beating Penn State. It's about what does it mean for Michigan? What does it mean for the Big Ten race? What does it mean for the college football playoff? And I think it's really interesting. I think it's especially interesting coming off a game against Iowa last week where multiple times Ohio State got to the red zone and had to settle for field goals four times in the first half, as a matter of fact. So this is all something to watch. The good thing for Ohio State outside of Michigan, maybe an Illinois team that they wouldn't play till the Big Ten championship game, 
The schedule is very manageable. At Northwestern, Indiana at Maryland to close the year before they host uh, Michigan. So I don't know that we're going to get a test for Ohio State before they play Michigan. I'll take it a step further. I don't know that we'll be talking about them on this show because they're going to be easily a three-touchdown favorite in all those games. I think they're going to win convincingly. But again, it comes down to what do they do against Michigan? What do they do beyond that if they get to the Big Ten Championship and the college football playoff? Really quickly from the Penn State perspective, you know, listen, I, I do have a couple thoughts, but really what it comes down to is this. After the game, everybody did what they always do, which is blame James Franklin. And I don't think James Franklin should be absolved here. I believe the stat I saw, he is now 2-15 and 15 against top 10 teams in his time at Penn State. And listen, get a $75 million extension last offseason. He's getting paid $7-plus million a year. It's kind of the Jimbo Fisher thing in the, big te- in the SEC. It's year whatever for James Franklin. I know you won the Big Ten in 2014, I think. 2015, whatever it was. 2016. That was still a long time ago, though. That was a long time ago, and since then, it has been struggles against the best team in this conference, traditionally Ohio State and Penn State. But let me also, to a degree, just a small degree, take a little bit off of James Franklin because I, I he's to blame. He's to blame. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm also saying, though, is this. The defense played their hearts out on Saturday night. The offensive line played its heart out. The run game was pretty effective, all things considering. They have those two super talented young running backs, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. Wasn't great, but it was good enough. Saturday, Penn State did not lose because of the defense. Saturday, Penn State did not lose because of the run game. And Saturday, Penn State did not lose because of James Frank. Saturday, Penn State lost because their sixth-year quarterback just isn't good enough. And I'll just say this. You guys girls know my stance. Try not to criticize young people. But Sean Clifford is a sixth-year player at Penn State, fourth, fifth-year starter. He talked this big talk in the lead-up to the game. This is the biggest game of my career. I have to play at my best. Three interceptions and a fumble on the most important play of the game, most important drive of the game. It was when Ohio State scored to retake the lead. Penn State get the ball back. There's still plenty of time left. Strip sack, fumble, recover by Ohio State. The game's over. And so I don't want to hear about James Franklin. If anything, what James Franklin's criticism is, is that he hasn't found somebody to replace Sean Clifford or he's just flat out too loyal to Sean Clifford. Remember, Will Levis, who we just talked about. You can criticize Will Levis at Kentucky. Will Levis was on this Penn State roster. You can't tell me that he wasn't good enough to beat out Sean Clifford because I know that he was. Drew Allaire, the five-star freshman, is on the roster right now, and James Franklin refuses to play him. But at the end of the day, if you are putting your your faith in the hands of a six-year quarterback, he's got to be better. Obviously, if he was that good, in year six, he'd be in the NFL. But as a veteran quarterback, you got to take care of the football. You can't turn it over. You can't give it away, especially to an offense as explosive as Ohio State. I don't want to hear James Franklin. I don't want to hear how underachieving he is. He is. I know he is. But this falls on the quarterback. This falls on Sean Clifford. Now I'll be curious to see what Penn State does going forward. They're sitting there at 6-2 and two overall right now. And as we've discussed, this Big Ten is not very good. Um, and they have an interesting schedule as well. At Indiana this week, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan State to close the year. Th- four games where they should essentially be favored. But what does James Franklin do now? You're not winning the Big Ten East at all because you have two losses to Michigan and Ohio State. Both of those teams would have to lose three times for you to win the Big Ten East. You're not really in competition for anything. 
Now's the time, James Franklin. I would. I understand you want to be loyal to your guys. You want to be loyal to Sean Clifford. But six-year guy lets you down in the biggest game. I do think it's time to turn the things over to Drew Allaire, see if he is the guy. I mean, he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy next year. And I almost think we're going to talk about Auburn in a second. I think it's almost about starting to get ready for next year, right? We talked about it with Texas A&M. Texas A&M, they lost. We're not going to talk about them on today's show. I think most of you are thrilled about that. But I said with Texas A&M, it's not about trying to salvage this year. It's really about to start. It's about trying to build for next year. You have a five-star quarterback that you know is going to be the guy next year. This is where I start to get him reps. This is where I start to say, you know what? This is your program now. Um, and we got to get you ready to go in week one next year because we got a big season ahead. So Penn State, Ohio State, those are my thoughts. Um, you know, listen, you can blame James Franklin. I think he deserves it. I also think a lot falls on a 60-year starter at quarterback who simply isn't getting the job done. I just want to do take a quick break, come back, and when I come back, what I do want to talk about, situation in Auburn. We will not be talking Auburn, Arkansas, I promise, but I do want to discuss What's going on in Auburn? It looks like they may have a new AD. One of their candidates may be off the table, or is he? We'll discuss all that next. Take a quick break. Come back, Auburn. Wrap the show. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back the sponsor of our Aaron Torres pod, NFL Pick'em Challenge, Bracket Fanatics and BracketFanatics.com. Listen, I've worked with Bracket Fanatics for years, multiple NCAA tournaments, and we started the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge. This is such an awesome deal for you guys and girls. This is all you got to do. Go to BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. The Bracket name is Torres. Do that, and here is what you can get. We have weekly $100 winners, and we have a season-long $1,000 cash prize. Free to enter, no sign-up, no this, no that. Enter every week, $100 weekly winner, $1,000 season-long cash prize. That is what Bracket Fanatics does for you. That is what Bracket Fanatics is doing for Aaron Torres and the Aaron Torres pod this, this football season. Again, week nine is coming up. We will announce our week eight winner later this week. But if you have not signed up, BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. The Bracket name is Torres. Uh, and if you've already signed up, go ahead and make those week nine picks. We are giving out money. We are going to announce our week eight winner Later this week, thank you to Bracket Fanatics, BracketFanatics.com. Again, BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket name, Torres. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, final segment of the show here on a Halloween Monday. So good to be back. Do want to go ahead and wrap uh, with really a story that's kind of just been around okay it's just been there and that is the situation with Auburn football and one thing I promise you I'm not going to do I'm not actually going to talk about what happened on the field on Saturday Arkansas plays Auburn it was really ugly Sam Pittman's boys smoked the Auburn Tigers uh Arkansas fans I'm sorry but we just ain't talking about that on today's show I don't know what there really is to take away from it with that said though it is increasingly clear it is obvious uh, that Brian Harson not only is not the guy, he's not going to be the guy. He, I don't, I, I've said it a few times now. I don't even think that he wants to be there. And so the question now becomes what is taking Auburn so long and why have they not made a move yet? Well, I think we got two pieces of news over the weekend that make it very interesting and really start to tell us 
that this thing is starting to come together. One from the uh, AD perspective and one from the coaching perspective. And I think these are two very interesting pieces of news as it pertains to not only the present of Auburn football, but more more importantly, the future as well. And so in the bigger picture, before we even get to the news, I think a lot of you, you've asked me privately, publicly, DM, social media, whatever. Taurus, what is going on at Auburn? Like, like what is taking so long? Why have they not made a move yet? We look at the whole landscape of college football. Nebraska's made a move. Georgia Tech's made a move. Colorado's made a move. Wisconsin, which never does anything, has made a move. Arizona State. Why has Auburn not made a move yet? And what I would say to that is, to me, it's a little bit unfortunate, especially for the guys in the locker room. But I don't believe that the people that really matter at Auburn, I don't think they really care about this season. I don't think it's, you know, some of those schools, Nebraska was about salvaging a little bit of this year. Trev Alberts talked about having a new voice in the locker room. Other places, it was a little bit of a different deal. But for the people that matter at Auburn, I don't think it's really about this year. I think they never really wanted Brian Harson back this year. The people that matter, the people with the money. I don't think they ever really wanted Brian Harson back this year. I think since probably dating back to the Penn State game, maybe the Missouri game a week later, they kind of knew, okay, not only is Brian Harson not the guy, he's not going to do enough to be the guy by the end of the year, right? Like if you get smoked by Penn State at home and barely survive against Missouri when they basically had two game-winning plays that they screwed up, if that's how you're handling Penn State and Missouri, you ain't beating LSU, you ain't beating Ole Miss, you ain't beating Arkansas, and you're definitely not beating Georgia and Alabama. And so I don't get the sense that once the first couple games happen, once we're in the middle of September, that anybody was really like, we're trying to salvage this season. What it's really about instead is really setting things up for the future, which is, I think, what Auburn is doing. If you remember, Auburn right now does not have an AD and has not had an AD really since, I think, about the middle of August when Alan Green, the former AD, resigned. Basically, his contract wasn't going to be renewed in December, and he says, you know what? If you don't want me here, I don't want to be here. I'm going to get out. I'm going to split. And so for Auburn to answer the question of why have they not gotten rid of Brian Harson, it seems pretty obvious. They don't really have anybody to do it, and it's not really about Brian Harson or this year anyway. So what has really been the priority at Auburn is focusing on finding the next AD, which really, once you hire that guy or girl, it kills two birds with one stone, right? He comes in, he does the dirty work on Brian Harson. nobody else has to, and then also he then or she then pursues the next head coach and we're going to get into candidates in a minute and so i bring all that up to bring it full circle because it appears as though auburn does in fact have its next ad maybe sort of possibly in place on saturday morning uh pete thamel espn reported that um john cohen currently the mississippi state athletic director that he is expected to be the next auburn ad now pete thamel said it wasn't official And there was a little bit of scuttlebutt late Saturday that maybe some people at Auburn were getting cold feet and didn't think he was the guy. Because, of course, at Auburn, that's exactly what always happens. Uh, There's a saying on social media, J-A-B-A, just Auburn being Auburn. Well, we got a -A J-A-B-A, a Jabba situation with Auburn just being Auburn, trying to figure out who the next AD is. But I do believe this guy's going to be the next AD. And listen, I'll be blunt. Some of these guys and girls that end up as ADs, I have a great feel for. This is a guy I don't really know much about. Like, I remember last year talking about Scott Woodward at LSU, and I kind of knew how he was going to handle a coaching search. I'll be honest, if John Cohen ends up being the guy, I don't know much about him. Now, his track record seems to be pretty impressive. 
He was at Mississippi State. He is the guy that hired Mike Leach. Um, he is the guy. Oh, by the way, I, I like the Chris Jans hire of in basketball. I think Chris Jans is actually going to be really good there. And also, it's worth noting, like Mississippi State did win the College World Series two years ago in baseball. So if your baseball program's humming, if your football program's humming, and if your basketball program's pretty good, you're probably pretty good at your job in evaluating talent. And now assuming that he's the guy, really everything comes down to what does he do for football? Because as weird as it sounds, like we all get caught up with Auburn. But remember, Auburn, you know, they're actually pretty good in basketball. Oh, they were number one in the country. They won the SEC regular season. So they're good in basketball. Bruce Pearl's got this thing. Baseball, they just made the College World Series. Butch Thompson's got that thing. I think his name is Butch Thompson. Forgive me. I'm not, I'm only a college baseball guy one or two weeks a year. But what this really comes down to, what do you do in football? And that's where it gets interesting because there's some obvious candidates that we all know, right? Deion Sanders. I've talked about Deion Sanders and Auburn dating back to mid-September. When it became obvious, Brian Harson wasn't the guy. I said, Deion, I mean, that guy can recruit. The guy can coach. Just the fact that Jackson State hosted college game day this week shows how far he's evolved. He's taken that program. So I've said for months, I think Dion should be the guy. Uh, obviously, Lane Kiffin, there's some ties there. There's some historical context. Auburn has stolen a head football coach from Ole Miss before. Now, Lane Kiffin's making $7 million a year. I don't really see it, but some people seem to think that um, he could be a candidate. But I think it's also worth noting the second piece of news which came out this week, which is that Hugh Freeze, who I think everybody kind of thought to be a logical candidate, he just signed a contract extension at Liberty on Friday. And so I want to get into that because I do think there's a little bit of misperception. I did see quite a bit of, well, he signed the extension. I guess he's not going to be the next head coach at Auburn. What I would say is I don't really know that that's true. Contract's just a piece of paper. It's meant to be broken. But what this comes down to and what it's going to come down to at the end of the day is what it always comes down to. What is the buyout to get him out of the contract? Lane Kiffin, I believe, signed a contract extension with Florida Atlantic and then took the Ole Miss job a few weeks later. The reason Jimbo Fisher kept getting raises over these last couple of years is because he had no buyout, could leave Texas A&M for LSU if he wanted to go. And so with Hugh Freeze, because Liberty is a private school, we don't know the exact dollar amount. I did see Chris Vanini from The Athletic reporting that there was a buyout, but it wasn't enough to keep away sec schools if they were interested and so if you're auburn i don't i saw a lot of like this eliminates Hugh freeze i don't get the sense that it eliminates Hugh freeze at all as a matter of fact i i i think it was actually very smart by Hugh freeze and his representation because what this does is you, you're in a situation where you're going to get paid really 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 well five million dollars a year at liberty is insane but there's a way to get out of it if one of these jobs that you want becomes available but what i would also say and this is just basically based on the reports that the buyout it, you know maybe the buyout is 20 million dollars and you can't get them out of it it just appears as though from multiple reports that the buyout is something that you could get out of at the same time though you know what that five million dollar price tag also tells me it ain't going to be cheap to get Hugh freeze and i do think this is something that auburn is going to have to deal with is you just went through a head coach in two years i don't think it's going to be as hard to get somebody as people think. Everybody wants coaching the SEC. There's only 14 of those jobs available, 16 if you include Texas and Oklahoma. But it ain't going to be cheap. And that to me is what the, that, that to, like everyone's talking about, well, the, the, there's a new extension. That means they're not going to get Hugh Freeze. No, I think it's the opposite. I think they can get him. 
I think they're going to have to pay a lot of money to get him, though. $5 million a year at Liberty, set up there, very good. Um, but you look at the bigger picture, if he's making five there, what's it going to take to get him to leave? I believe Gus Malzahn was making probably seven-ish or so when he got fired. I think that's the baseline. And I think you might have to pay Brian Kelly money, uh, whatever, to get Hugh Freeze over to Auburn at this point. Keep in mind, we live in a world now, Kirby Smart's making $10, $11, 12000000 million a year. Nick Saban making $10, $11, 12000000 million a year. So the idea, especially in the SEC, of paying eight, nine, nine and a half million dollars a year doesn't seem crazy. Mel Tucker making nine and a half, and he's getting smoked every week. So that's the news out of Auburn. I find it all very fascinating. I find it all very interesting because the AD is in place, and I expect things to move quickly. I suspect that if they officially name John Cohen the AD, that within 24 hours, Brian Harson will be gone, and then it is game on in terms of the next head coach. But we'll monitor all that. But a very, very, very interesting week at Auburn. But it feels like we're starting to get some momentum here. It feels like we're going to get a new AD, which will then lead to a new coach soon. Really quickly, I think that's just about it for today's Aaron Torres pod. You know, there's some other stuff from the weekend. Um, Georgia smacked Florida. I don't know that there was a ton there. Georgia looked okay. They didn't look elite. There was a stretch where Florida scored two, three times in a row to cut it to 28-20. I'm not worried about Georgia. I am fascinated for the game next week. Also, what else happened on Saturday? Well, there was a brawl in the Michigan Michigan State lock, uh, uh, tunnel after the game. Listen, I don't have any hot takes. I don't think there's a take to have on that. How about we don't assault people? Like, how about we don't use our helmets as a weapon? That feels like a pretty obvious take. Jim Harbaugh, Ward Manuel, the AD, said there will be potential charges pressed. So keep an eye on that situation. Oklahoma gets Oklahoma State gets smoked, excuse me, by Kansas State. Uh, it feels like we hit on the big stuff for today. So what I want to do is I want to get out of here because it is a Monday. It is Halloween. You're dressed up. Wicked Witch of the West, whatever you are. And it is time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys and girls for listening to today's Aaron Tour Sports Podcast. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you are subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. It is time for me to go. Thank you guys and girls for listening. I will be back probably Tuesday, definitely Wednesday, because we're going to have some college football playoff rankings to react to. But thank you guys, as always, for your support. Shout out to Torker. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. I'll be back Tuesday, Wednesday, Air Torres Sports Podcast. Also, thank you for presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook, Bracket Fanatics as well. Make sure to check them out. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.